Amen. May we own that, that all we have is Christ. He's our life. That wonderful. And thank you, praise team. It's good to learn some new songs too, eh? So, uh, some good things to sing and praise to our Lord and God. <clears throat> this morning, uh, I recognize and see that the Urban family is with us. We're happy to have these newlyweds. And it's good to see you guys and uh, trust that all's going well. I understand that they've been uh, back to the work week this week and as uh, newlyweds, but uh, we're praying for you guys. Uh, so, but let's do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day and for your gracious mercies to us as your people. Uh, we ask, Lord God, that uh, you would set our attention upon you. We've come here to worship you this morning that we might uh, know and speak in gratitude of the mercies that have been found in Christ Jesus. Blessed are you, our Heavenly Father, the Lord of the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, that according to your mercies you have, have uh, saved us and granted to us new life, regeneration in Jesus Christ, uh, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to your mercy you saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of your spirit. And we thank you for the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ which dwells among your people that uh, we may come this day with praise and thanksgiving in our hearts and worship you. And we pray that Jesus' name, that his glory would be exalted. And we ask, Lord God, for the blessing of your presence. Uh, the illumination of your spirit to the truth of your word, the things that are needful for us as your people this day. And we pray, Lord, in these troubled times <clears throat> that you would grant deliverance and healing. But we ask most of all that you would grant godly repentance to our nation, that you would grant godly repentance to us, that you would grant godly repentance to the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the churches in this nation and the world, that we would turn our hearts again to the power of the gospel and to the grace that has been given in Christ Jesus. For we are to flee the wrath to come. And with the only escape from your just judgment is through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life. And we acknowledge, Lord, that we cannot come to you, our Father, except through him. May our message be clear. May the gospel be plain. May we stand on the truth of your word. And we ask your blessing now as we open your word that your spirit may illuminate the truth and that it may take root in our hearts and lives that we may hear with our ears and see with our eyes and understand with our minds to comprehend that truth that you've given to us through your spoken word. And may we bow to the authority of your word, Lord, and acknowledge that you are Lord and God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for being here this morning. It's
it's good to see a, a hearty crowd out there, and we trust that, that many are online with us this morning as well. I have an important topic to uh, discuss this morning, and it's, it's in light of, of the present uh, revolution that is unfolding in the streets of the cities of our country um, and the gravity of the upcoming elections. Uh, in light of that, I wanted to break from our studies in the book of Romans and uh, address some of these issues. I think it's so uh, significant and important for us. Um, as you're aware, I unapologetically believe in a global conspiracy. So you say, well, Pastor, are you a conspiracist? Do you believe in conspiracy? Well, I certainly do. And according to biblical prophecy, um, this global conspiracy will involve a um, the indwelling of, of, of a real fleshly, bodily man, a human being, uh, the Antichrist, by Satan himself. Um, and according to Bible prophecy, these events are, are, are yet future. I'm not uh, suggesting that, that these political events of the upcoming election are some type of fulfillment of specific Bible prophecy. <clears throat> but uh, in regard to the tribulation period, um, uh, th these things uh, come at a, at a specific time and there's a specific fulfillment that takes place. Um, but uh, I believe that, that we're looking at signs in our country and things that are stated by globalists and those that, uh, that have embraced a, 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 a worldview of uh, this uh, life, uh, this, uh, these future events that will come, that, there's a, there, that there are spiritual forces at work that involve uh, certain political and worldly uh, forces and people that are engaged in a quest for world government as opposed to nationalism. And as we talked about earlier in our studies um, <clears throat> in uh, biblical views and overviews, uh, uh, biblical doctrines and overviews of the, the Old Testament, we looked at Genesis chapter 9 and the establishment of, of governments national governments and the significance of that, if there was purposes and reasons for that, <clears throat> there's good reason that there are national borders and yet there are forces at work today uh, that want to have open borders. Uh, and so we have to ask ourselves the question, what are, are the, what is the uh, thinking, what is the mindset that, that would... Um, would um, distance themselves from the from Genesis chapter nine, from the expressed teaching in the Scripture of uh, that uh, disdain of God for the building of the Tower of Babel and for one world government and for no national borders. <clears throat> but these things are 
not only thought about, but they're talked about and planned for. And so it's very significant in regard to the events that will be taking place. In light of of these uh, things and the direction, the course that these things are moving, I believe it's it's really uh, very important for me as a pastor uh, to call our church body uh, to watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. It's a time when uh, Christ called for his disciples there in the Garden of Gethsemane would apply to today uh, because there are, are things and events that are, that are taking place globally <clears throat> and in our nation as we've watched uh, the burning of businesses and the destruction of, of uh, law and order and the undermining of law and order and these certain things that are taking place in our country. And so um, the, uh, the secularist redefinition of separation of church and state has, has crippled the testimony of the church of Jesus Christ uh, for our nation, and perhaps it has exposed a present fear of men It has excused our reticence to contend for the faith and often pardoned our lack of readiness to make a defense and to give an account for the hope that is in us. So I'm calling you as God's people uh, in these next months to pray for this country, uh, to pray that God would grant to us repentance and to pray that God might be pleased to work on our behalf Now, one would ask, well, if you believe that the prophecies in the Bible are unfolding and they're coming true and there's this move toward a global one-world government in rebellion against God, you know, should you oppose that? Well, yes, we should as God's people, right? Uh, It is the, the burden of God's people to shine as a light, to be salt in the earth, uh, to speak against worldviews that are contrary to what he has told us, and what is clearly spoken in the scripture. So uh, this morning we want to, to think in terms of, of what is it going to mean for us as God's people to watch and pray uh, and that we enter not into temptation, uh, that we stand uh, toward those things, and, and it is important for, for us, for each one of us, to give testimony to the truth of Christ's teaching, and I believe to governing authorities, uh, because as these uh, spiritual forces move, uh, we're called as God's people to testify to the truth of Christ's teaching uh, to the governing authorities. And I want to to look at a couple of passages to to deal with that. First of all, uh, in light of these things, our struggle is spiritual in nature. We must not forget it because, uh, you know, we may have the tendency to to turn some of our animosity or maybe anger or or, or some of the fight toward people. uh, And we find that, that Christ... Uh, and that God's word tells us that, that this struggle that we're engaged in is spiritual in nature. So uh, as far as, as like um, shaking our fist at one party or another or at individuals 
Uh, and there are certainly individuals that are in, involved, and I think that we should call them down on it uh, for the things that they hold, the worldview that they hold. And we should make the clear distinction between that worldview of, of man and his rebellion against God and God's word. Uh, so remember that we're called to that which is spiritual in nature. Uh, and it's according to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. It's against spiritual rulers. Uh, and so let's take a look at that, that part of that verse there. It says, um, uh, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, uh, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So what is Paul saying here? And what is it that, that Jesus was saying when uh, at the cross of Calvary uh, under the great injustices of mankind he was being crucified unjustly and he uh, with the words of his mouth and uh, breathe, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. Uh, mankind is lost and in need of a savior. And the struggle is against this rebellion against God, our creator, and it's angelic in nature. Uh, when the Antichrist is indwelt by Satan himself, it's a spiritual being. It's a, it's a, it's a person. It, it has, he has personality. It's not some type of, of moving force of wickedness, but it's a personal uh, form of wickedness, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Uh, the rebellion that we're engaged in as God's people involves these things. And secondly, notice the rest of this verse. We're to stand firm in Bible doctrine. We're to stand firm in Bible doctrine. And let me make the point here with the rest of Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> In verses 13 through 20, it says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm. Therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Okay. All right. So if we're going to stand firm, what are we standing firm in? And it's doctrine. It's Bible doctrine. Truth from God's word. So gird your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of what? Righteousness. So God's people are called to live, to speak, to declare what righteousness is. That's needed in our country. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. Notice that it's the gospel of peace. But notice what the... the um, the, the symbols that, that Paul is using here of a warrior putting on uh, for war. Uh, but it, it's with the gospel of peace. And this is the uniqueness of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith, 
So God's people carry faith. We're armed with faith, believing in the power and the sovereignty of God and the power of God in all all of these things. He does not relinquish His sovereign plan and the unfolding of His will in human history because of man's and angelic rebellion against Him. God is still reigning as God and King on the throne. Therefore, God's people have hope and faith and strength. This faith with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. What are the flaming arrows? Well, it's it's a world view of rebellion. It's original sin. It's man's rebellion against God. It's an angelic rebellion against God. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword. There we have salvation. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. All of this is Bible doctrine. That's what we're to stand firm in. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that's our offensive weapon. It is the, the Word of God that is alive and powerful and it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now, Scripture says that it's, it's God's law that, that, bring, that shuts the mouth of every man and brings everyone under the accountability of their, uh, their accountability to God himself. So, and it goes on to say, And with this view, be on the alert with all perseverance. So as believers, as saints, as God's soldiers, we persevere in the truth of God's Word, in the doctrine that is given to us, the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, the teaching here of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. I I would declare to you that, that God, that the Apostle Paul is saying that God's people need boldness to open our mouths in regard to truth, in regard to righteousness, in regard to the things that are expressed in God's Word for God's people. And I fear that the church of Jesus Christ has become timid and fearful with the truth. And we're coming into times where God has drawn the line that we can no longer Uh, simply distance ourselves from the world that we live in and kind of hide in some corner. But we must boldly speak the truth. And we must boldly speak of the things from God's Word. That boldness may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, Notice there's an ought there that we should speak the truth of the gospel. It's our duty to stand firm in the truth by how we live, but also by what we proclaim to others. It's for God's people to speak against worldviews that are contrary to Scripture, that are moving us toward destruction and rebellion against God. We need boldness. We need the boldness of the gospel. We need the boldness of truth again in God's people because we've hidden in our churches and we've withdrawn uh, from the venue. And I would say that that, uh, in back uh, after, shortly after graduating from college, 
uh, I went uh, into the public school to teach, and I found that that I was being suppressed, that there was opposition to me sharing a, a, a passage of scripture uh, to the class that I I had on Monday mornings, and I was confronted with uh, the administration. This is back in the 70s, the late 70s. Um, and so what did I do as a believer? Well, I, I, I withdrew. And I, so I think there's a place where uh, when the public schools become contaminated with, uh, with uh, rebellion against God that we that we start homeschooling or private schools that we that we move and do whatever we can um, but there's there's also uh, engaging and and taking a stand against some of the things that have taken place and some of the of the uh, what I would call doctrines of demons uh, scripture says in second corinthians ten five that uh, we're to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So if, if we're going to boldly do these things, then we need to engage. Uh, we need to speak. We need to speak in regard to these things and we need to engage and not simply withdraw. So we are to testify of God's word before governors and kings. I want to make this point uh, that that's what Jesus told his disciples. He told his apostles. I'm thankful that uh, with the abolition of abortion uh, a couple of uh, a little while back, that that we had a number of people that went to Austin uh, to testify about God's word, uh, to testify in regard to the to the, the ravages that abortion has taken in our country, uh, the lives that have been taken. And uh, we're to testify before rulers. Uh, and I'm thankful that a number in our church were there uh, for just such a thing. But we, we're to engage in these ways. Uh, we have uh, leaders and representatives in a constitutional republic that, that we need to engage. We need to know them. We need to pray for them. And when they're in Washington, D.C. or Austin, Texas, they need to see your faces because they know that you're praying for them. They know that you recognize them as your representative and that, uh, that you are expecting on their part uh, to, to represent you and represent things that are are godly and healthy for this nation. We are to testify of God's word before governors and kings. Matthew 10, 17 through 20, uh, God's word has this to say, but beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. That's, what, that's the instruction that Christ gave to his disciples. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are going to say, for it will be given to you in the hour what you are to say, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So if God wants to speak in us, 
<coughs> and through us <coughs> to governing authorities, <coughs> that's, a, that's a pretty cool thing, isn't it? That don't, don't take great concern for what you're going to speak because it's the Spirit of our Heavenly Father that is going to speak through us. Ah, that's, that's powerful. Uh, that is duty. Uh, that is honor. It is boldness that God's people should take. The church is on the offensive against spiritual powers. The, the, uh, Matthew sixteen eighteen has this to say. Also, I also say to you that uh, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And, and what that means, that, that word, or, or prevail against it, it means to be superior in strength. Uh, and, and one of the, the wrong perspectives that is taken on this verse is that uh, the gates of Hades that, that, that we're being assaulted, that we should be on the defensive, but actually the nature of this verse is a declaration that the gates of Hades that have men bound and people bound cannot prevail against the word of God, against the power of God as he speaks through his people. The spirit of God that speaks through his people to governors and rulers and those who are in authority will not prevail against the gates of hell, against men's lostness, against men's rebellion, against a satanic rebellion against God. Uh, so there's a call with the gospel. There's a call to standing firm in truth that is necessary for us as believers. A fourth point that I want to make here is that the church is to teach nations to observe Christ's teaching. And this is simply the gospel. This is simply the great commission. Matthew 28, 18-20 says, And Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power is given to me. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, the main verb here is teach all nations. So what is, is Jesus telling his, his disciples here? His apostles, we would say, because it says go. Apostles are sent ones. And they are to go, therefore, and as they're going, teach all nations. So if we're to teach all nations, we must speak the truth to these nations. We're to baptize them, and these are participles that attach to teach all nations or make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them, teaching them. What is it? What are we teaching them to do? To observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. The word of Christ, the truth of God's word, it is the absolute authority that is necessary and needful. That authority stands over governors and rulers and leadership, and God's people should by duty proclaim truth at every opportunity, at every opportunity that we have. We proclaim God's word, God's truth, as what is needed. There's, I have two questions for the church this morning. <clears throat> Can the church submit to governing authorities and teach all nations without contradiction of duty? 
That's the big question. It's the thing that, that we need to consider and to consider what it means to, to, to do these things, to speak these things, to walk in this truth, to live by this truth, to stand firm in the doctrine that is given to us, the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the second thing that we'll look at is where are believers in the 20th and 21st centuries, which is where we have moved, the things that we've moved into in these times. Can the church submit to governing authorities and teach all nations without contradiction of duty? That's a big question for us. In Romans 13, 1 through 4, every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities. We are to submit to governing authorities. That means that we're not breaking out forth in rebellion. We're not uh, taking up uh, arms against the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority has opposed the ordinance of God. Um, and they uh, who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves, for rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior. Notice what it's saying here. But for evil, do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God an avenger who brings wrath on one who practices evil. And this is interesting in light of the fact that, that Jesus was most unjustly crucified on the cross of Calvary by governing authorities. And, and, but what is the prescribed minister of God, the governing authority, what is his purpose? And what was the prescribed uh, thing that that uh, that governing authorities were supposed to do according to Genesis chapter 9. After the destruction of the world, mankind and his rebellion, God established governing forces. He says, he that sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. That there's a justice that was, was delegated or relegated over to the governing authorities, to, to nations. Uh, and this was to stop the prescribed rebellion of mankind on the massive scale that took place uh, during the, the time, the period of the time of the flood. God established nations. He established governing authorities to quell or, or uh, move uh, away from uh, the global wickedness and bloodshed and horrible things that were taking place in that day. Okay, so, all right, let's take a look then at uh, Martin Luther and think about, and I want to ask these questions. Because it was Martin Luther at uh, the, uh, uh, the, the Diet of the Worms, he took his stand against governing authorities, against the establishment, the authority of the church, much like Christ did with the scribes and the Pharisees in his day. He took his, his stand and made his uh, proclamation of truth uh, before the governing authorities of, of the, the Germans. As you look at this quote here, this is his address at the Diet of Worms where they were condemning him as a heretic. Since then, your majesty, so who was that? He's a governing authority. And your lordships desire a simple reply. I will answer without horns and without teeth. 
Uh, unless I am convicted by Scripture and by the plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. There's that word stand again, huh? I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. So what what do you think? Was Martin Luther, was he was he uh, out of bounds or or is he fulfilling the what what Christ taught, what Christ told him to do in standing before authority and speaking the truth to authority. Now it's my condition that that Martin Luther was not uh, simply a a rebel against authority, that he uh, was not in any contradiction in submitting himself to the authorities and to what is prescribed in, in in Scripture here and in making this defense of the gospel before these rulers. We look at the life of William Tyndale. These are just a few examples, but... uh, William Tyndale is uh, known for his partial translation of the Bible in the English language. You, you know that, that one of the main reasons that, that uh, Tyndale lost his life was because uh, it says here, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that drives the plow to know more of the scripture than he does. Well, that's pretty offensive pretty direct and pretty costly, right? Because he lost his life for the purpose and for the conviction that we needed to have the Scripture in the English language. Are we glad? Uh, do, do, we, do, do we stand uh, in, in judgment against William Tyndale for taking a stand against the authorities of his day? Uh, for uh, the Word of God and for the translation of the Scripture into the English language? Was he right before God or was he wrong? He opposed Henry VIII's planned annulment of his marriage to Catherine of Aragon. So it wasn't just the Gospel. I mean, he, he held to the Word of God and with great boldness uh, proclaimed truth just much like John the Baptist who uh, rebuked Herod in his day. Uh, he died at the stake in October 6, 1536. Now, get the time frame here. 1536, the Reformation is taking place. These events are taking place. In the 1600s, we had, uh, we had Puritans and pilgrims that were coming to the United States for freedom of religion. Uh, and and they came uh, with a, des- a desire to get out of the muck that had taken place in Europe and the, the, the damages that were taking place because Henry VIII had moved away from Catholicism and, and the, the believers found that the authorities uh, that were embracing a part of the Protestant Reformation, even at that, they were restricting freedom of God's word. So he died at the stake, and he died praying, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Yeah, that's, that's boldness. 
that's commitment. Uh, that's duty. Uh, that is the expression of, of the things that we're, we're singing about. Christ is my life. And, and he is the authority. He's the ultimate authority. John Knox, he was a galley slave on a French ship. He was a galley slave because uh, he was part of the Protestant Reformation that was taking place, part of the desire to put the, the Scripture in the language of the people and to teach them God's Word. Knox prayed with firm reserve, Lord, give me Scotland ere I die. He prayed for his country. He cried out for his country. He cried out for the free expression of the truth of God's Word. That's what we need with God's people. He told Mary, Queen of Scots, if princes exceed their bounds, madam, no doubt they may be resisted even by power. Mary, Queen of Scots, came at one point, I said she was literally crying because, because John Knox had rebuked her for her immorality and, and for the idolatry that she was engaged in. And, and so he confronted, he was standing firm in the Word of God. One of the Scottish earls said of Knox at his funeral, there lies one who in his life never feared the face of man. Uh, that's what we need and the kind of boldness that we need in the church. It's necessary for us as God's people to stand firm in the doctrine and the truth and the teaching of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that authority is above all other authority. So, so let's move to our founders, the founders in the Declaration of Independence and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. This is what our country was established upon. They pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. All that they had was given to the... the the quest for, for religious liberty, for the freedom of worship, for the things that are prescribed in, uh, in, the, uh, in the Bill of Rights that we've been given. Uh, the founders of our government, uh, what did uh, Benjamin Rush, uh, he, had, he had this to say. Uh, um, he pointed out how that Jesus in his resurrection not only redeemed man to God, but also to each other. Um, he forgave the crime of murder on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And after his resurrection, and he commanded his disciples to preach the gospel of forgiveness first at Jerusalem, where he, he, he well knew his murderers still resided. These striking facts are recorded in our imitation uh, for, for our imitation and seem intended to show that the Son of God died not only to reconcile God to men, but to reconcile men to each other. That's the boldness of the proclamation of the gospel. And that's Benjamin Rush. He's a signer of the Declaration of Independence. George Washington said, I now make it my earnest prayer that God would most graciously be pleased to dispose us all to do justice, love mercy, and uh, to demean ourselves that with charity, humility, and pacific temper of the mind, 
which were the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion. That's, our, that's the, the first president of the United States. The things that they had to say in regard, and, and he's the one, a general of the, the American Revolution. Okay, is, was what he's saying about doing justice and loving mercy uh, in some way compromised? I believe not. So here's a quote from Noah Webster. The Bible is the chief moral cause of all that is good and best correct for all that is evil in human history or society. The best book for regulating the temporal that is, uh, sexual concerns of men, Noah Webster. Uh, this is what our country was founded upon. Um, uh, Dr. Benjamin Rush said the Bible should be read in our schools in preference to all other books. That's what I got in trouble for. From its containing the greatest portion of the kind of knowledge which is calculated to produce pu private and public happiness, the signer of our Constitution. The Bible should be read in our schools, he says. Well, what does is, what is the governing authorities have to say in our country today about reading the Bible in school, about praying in school? <clears throat> Daniel Webster had this to say, to the free and universal reading of the Bible, men are much indebted for right views of civil, civil liberty. So, you know, the, the disconnection of... Church and state, the separation of church and state is is it's a myth. It's something that is a, a worldview uh, that was forced from wicked and spiritual sources, doctrines of demons. <clears throat> because those that understood how this nation, how our constitutional republic was established, knew the significance of the Bible the teaching of Scripture in regard to civil liberty. The Bible is a book which teaches man his own individual responsibility, his own dignity, and his equality with his fellow man. It's necessary for civil liberty. So why should believers be silent? Why should we hold our tongue in regard to political and civil issues? It's insane what we've bought as believers. We need to speak. We need to stand firm in the, the doctrine of Christ. We need to stand firm with the gospel. We need to stand firm with the teaching of Christ. We need to take the boldness of those that have gone before us and realize the sacrifice that may be made in regard to some of these stands. Where are believers in the 20th and 21st century? That's the second question. So <clears throat> the federal support of schools and elementary and secondary education uh, took place in 1965. Where was the church? So when recently um, federal, where federal dollars go, there also, and rightfully so, there needs to be some um, some relegation of how those funds are used. But what has happened with the support of federal funds in schools? Well, all of a sudden, and, and this, is, this is the 
the um, amazing way that that wickedness uh, moves about um, <clears throat> because of of use of federal funds public schools somehow just were redefined and they were redefined as state schools well that's what communism does it's what other places does but why did the united states do it and where were Christians, where were believers to take a stand against saying, no, these are not state schools. These are public schools. These are our schools. You don't have business here telling us what is to take place in the teaching of our children. It's not the government's place. Why don't we as believers say those things? Why is it <clears throat> that they simply... Uh, uh, made this transition, made this redefinition, and there was silence on the church's part. There was nothing done in regard to uh, to contending <coughs> with such things. <coughs> the church has failed in these areas. School prayer was ruled unconstitutional in Engel versus Vitali. All of a sudden, the the federal courts decided that, hey, you can't pray in school. It's a state school, and there's got to be separation of church and state. It's not separation of church and state. is not in the Constitution. It's not upholding the Constitution by the federal judges. It was an imposition of, a, of an ideology. It was an imposition of something that was contrary to the Word of God, uh, to the truth of our constitutional republic, of that constitution which they swore to uphold. They had a sworn oath, and they violated it. And it's been violated many times by federal governments and by governing officials. And the church should stand. Education is the ally of humanism. Francis Potter had this to say, and we need to know and understand where these things come from. Francis Potter in his work, Humanism, A New Religion, says education is the most powerful ally of humanism. And every American public school is a school of humanism. Well, how did this happen? And when did this transition take place from the quotes that I read to you about what our founding fathers had to say about the, the Bible and teaching in schools and what Francis Potter is saying here <clears throat> and what federal governments had had to say in regard to education. It's a powerful ally of humanism. Where does humanism come from? And what is humanism? And every public... American public school is a school of humanism. What can the theistic Sunday schools meeting for an hour once a week and teaching only a fraction of the children do to stem the tide of a five-day program of humanistic teaching? The conflict that we're seeing in our country is a conflict between worldviews. There's a, a, a world government uh, a quest for world government. There is uh, the teaching of the exaltation of man under uh, uh, idolatry called humanism. And that means that no deity will save us. We must save ourselves. They say what they mean. And they put it in our face and declared it. And yet 
The church has been silent. The 2020 election is about the clash of these two worldviews. Humanism. There's nationalism and the supremacy of Christ or there's global humanism. And, and when we see the conflict that's taking place in Washington, D.C. and Austin, Texas, amongst those that are of the ruling class of our people, uh, there are those that have embraced global humanism. There are those that have chosen uh, over, over capitalism, socialism, uh, because make no excuses for it. Uh, the Black Lives Matter group that is burning black businesses, uh, is, it, it falls completely in sync with, with what their agenda is, what their worldview is. So you say, well, wait a second now. Uh, we're seeing St. Paul, Minnesota, 170 businesses burned to the ground, most of them minor- minority businesses. Uh, Minneapolis, there were 1,500 businesses burned to the ground. Well, why do they do this if black lives matter? Why were these black businesses burnt to the ground? It's because their agenda. It, it doesn't make sense if black lives matter that they're destroying this property and that their actually lives were lost. So do black lives matter or not? Well, evidently not in regard to what the agenda is, the socialist agenda. So capitalism and those black businesses are contrary to the, the power and control of socialism. It's contrary to the control that is needed. The independence of capitalism and black businesses where people are independent and can take care of themselves is contrary to government socialistic control. And Washington, D.C. is rampant with socialism, with the worldview that socialism is where we need to move. If you don't believe it, just look at at uh, President Trump's State of the Union address where he declared we will not become a socialist nation and there was dead silence throughout that, that, uh, the Congress as they looked on and the speech was torn up. Why was the speech torn up? Why was there opposition to to the simple statement that the United States of America as a sovereign nation is not become, going to become a socialist nation. And that's because the, the worldviews are in conflict. And this election coming up is about this. It's about these things. The 2020 election is about the clash of two worldviews in capitalism and socialism. So... Not just nationalism and supremacy of Christ or global humanism, but uh, these economic uh, as well. Um, Margaret Thatcher had this, this to say, socialists cry power to the people and raise their clenched fist. As they say it, we all know what they really mean is that power over people Power to the state. That's what socialism means. So and it's, it's, we're blind people if we don't understand that we've already made giant steps and moves towards socialism. 
How much does the government control of our lives? And how much has been grasped and taken by the power of the state? It was not Our constitutional republic was not intended for such things. So let's take a look at the globalist worldview. These are just a few of the things that have been stated. Okay, uh, Here is is a statement from the Humanist Manifesto. We deplore the division of humankind on a nationalistic grounds. Okay, So nationalism or world government. We have reached a turning point in human history where the best option is to transcend the limits of national sovereignty. That's us. That's the United States of America. And to move toward the building of a world community in which all sectors of the human family can participate. Thus, we look for to the development of a system of world law and world order based upon transnational federal government. When Pre President Trump spoke before the UN committee uh, in Paris, and he said that, hey, I'm taking care of the United States of America. We're not moving this direction uh, because it is a, 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 a world uh, government a world law that is over the sovereignty of my nation, uh, he, he hit a nerve. In fact, uh, the, the, the United Nations, uh, many of the, of the, the humanists uh, said, you know, this is a setback. It's a setback to the global uh, desire for exactly what's speaking here, uh, is being spoken of here, this world community or world government. Uh, the who is achieving world government. To achieve world government, it is necessary to remove from the minds of men their individualism. You can't have a, a private business and take care of your family. Loyalty to family tradition, national patriotism, and religious dogmas. These are quotes. They tell us what they're doing. We don't, we don't address it. We don't speak to it. Um, socialism is... Uh, a transition stage, according to John Strachey. It is impossible to establish communism as an immediate successor to capitalism. It is accordingly proposed to establish socialism as something which we can put uh, in the place of our present decaying capitalism. Hence, communists work for the establishment of socialism as a necessary transition stage on the road to communism. So what's the agenda here? What is the worldview? Well, they tell us uh, it, it's, it's pretty clear. And so we need to speak. Uh, God's people need to address these issues. Okay, the, the, the Bible, uh, and this, is, this was uh, a quote from, uh, from uh, the late 1800s, the 19th century, by the Speaker of the House. It's interesting. He's saying basically it's by Bible or by bayonet. All societies of men must be governed in some way or the other. The less they have of a stringent state government, the more they must have of individual self-government. So a constitutional republic can't exist without the Bible. can't exist without ethics and morals. It can't exist because... Man must be controlled. He must be governed. The less they rely on public law and physical force, the more they must rely on private moral restraint. 
Man and a word must necessarily be controlled either by a power within them or by a power without them, either by the word of God or by the strong arm of man, either by the Bible or the bayonet. It may do for other countries and other governments to talk about states supporting religion. Here, under our own free institutions, it is religion which must support the state. This is Robert Winthrop. He's a speaker of the House uh, in the late 1800s, the 19th century. It's truth there. It's the Bible or the bayonet. If we break down the laws, we break down our constitutional republic, if we're not governed by the morality of, of, of Scripture, uh, then uh, we'll be governed by a bayonet, by force. And the mistake of the German church, Erwin Erwin Lutzer had this to say, and he studied the surrender of the Christian church under Hitler. And he gives us advice. It is time that Christians become leaders in art, education, politics, and law. Let's not make the mistake of the German church and isolate the spiritual sphere from the political, social, and cultural world. These are weighty words that need to be spoken to the church. Bonhoeffer was critical of the church when its only interest was self-preservation. We should be characterized by giving, not withholding, since we share this planet with all of humanity. We must reestablish connections in all of those areas where Christians often led the way. So that's a statement by Aaron Loops where in you can still trust a communist uh, to be a communist. We can count the cost and rise to the honor and calling of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We must, as God's people, become bold as lines. We must live out biblical Christianity in all of the disciplines of theology, uh, philosophy, ethics, biology, um, sociology, law, politics, economics, and history. Christianity invades it all. We must step up to the disciplines of prayer, uh, witness, study, and confrontation and the cost that may be involved with it. Number four, we must not isolate Sunday morning worship and our spiritual lives from our weekly business, education, social, cultural, and political aspects. Okay, Bonhoeffer's three ways that the church can act uh, toward the state. And this is uh, in closing. Bonhoeffer enumerated three ways that the church can act toward the state when it encroaches upon the Christian proclamation and negates itself from Romans 13 prescribed role. Bear in mind that this was the governing authorities' uh, persecution and genocide of the Jewish people that he's speaking about here. Okay? So the German... Uh, uh, nation, uh, the authorities uh, embrace genocide. Does the church speak or does the church say silent? The authorities embraced ab uh, uh, abortion. Does the church speak or does the church say silent? The church can question the state regarding its actions and their legitimacy. So that's the conclusion that Bonhoeffer came to when he was dealing with the fact that in Nazi Germany, 
The state was saying that we can kill, we can commit genocide to the Jewish people, and the church was silent. The church can question. It can aid the victims of the states and in, in their action. We do that. We, we support options for life and, and, uh, and many things in regard to abortion and, and things that are ungodly and uh, and it's right for us to do so. The church should uh, stand in those ways. And finally, the church must take direct action against the state to stop the perpetration of evil. Uh, and we've done these things as well. Uh, we do all that we can. Uh, I just want to say this in closing because I'm over time here. Um, these are, are weighty issues that are coming up in November in regard to our election and in regard to the conflict between these two worldviews, it was very clearly stated by George Soros and by others, uh, by Jeffrey Sachs and other globalists, that uh, the, the, the 2020 election is, is hugely uh, significant for the plans of the global one-world government. I mean, they said it publicly, put it in our faces. And so for us not to say, not to address these things and, to, and to, to realize these things and to be in prayer in regard to these things is foolishness on the church's part. We must stand, uh, we must pray, we must engage as, as those that have gone before us have engaged in addressing uh, these world spiritual forces. May God have mercy upon us and help us because we're going to need for God to work in God's people for these things to, to, uh, to unfold in these next few months. I'm urging you to pray uh, seriously and earnestly. Get to your knees and pray for our country. Pray for these events because I don't know about you, but I want to be one that is standing in the gap, one that is a watchman on the wall, one that is doing the things that are necessary and needful in the time when it's needed, understanding the times and knowing what we ought to do as God's people. What is our duty? And, and let's embrace that. I can't think of anything worse for me to, to think of, of this church body going out and in the energy or the strength of the flesh, trying to engage these spiritual forces, it can't be done. You know, we don't have that strength. But the power of God within us, that's why uh, watching and praying, and I mean seriously, maybe even fasting uh, during these, these days and these months uh, ahead, for God's power and God's strength within God's people to address these things as we need to address them. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning, Lord, uh, needy as your people, uh, God, uh, hungering with zeal, desiring your, your righteousness, your, the name of Jesus Christ being exalted, the boldness that is necessary, Lord, we're in need of that boldness. We're in need of your strength. We're in need of that grace to address these spiritual forces in a way that honors you, in a way that is necessary and needful. Uh, for God, uh, we, we know that mankind's rebellion is moving to a global 
national, multinational rebellion against you, against your word and against Christ. And Lord, may we not be a generation that lays aside the truth, the, the, the authority of your word for these things which are being addressed. Help us, God, and strengthen us as your people, uh, and not in the strength or energies of our flesh or the wisdom of our human minds, but in the power of your spirit to address that which needs to be addressed. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.